Welcome to CII Podcasts. Hello everybody, I'm Vasudha Venugopal. I'm a political journalist with NDTV and this is the first of UNDP CII podcast series centered around India's G20 presidency and the expectations. Uh, the first episode is on climate action and environmental priorities for India. It's a personal favorite because every time you think about environment, there are these jargons and technical terms that get tossed around, you know, who are these environmental refugees, uh, what is energy energy efficiency and, you know, so on and so forth. So we have with us um, Mr. Ashish Chaturvedi, sir, is basically uh, the head of action for climate and environment, UNDP India. He specializes in climate change mitigation and adaptation and environmental policy. Thank you, Ashish, for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, Vasudha, for having me on this podcast. Uh, sir, I was reading some of your articles and I was, uh, uh, you know, it was sort of a learning experience. So I st- I'm going to start with the very basics. Uh, you know, we keep hearing people from the UN and also the UN Secretary General talk about climate action. And recently when he said that humanity is on a, uh, you know, on, on, a, on ice and that ice seems to be floating away, uh, it seemed very serious and alarming. But, you know, our populations across the world and countries taking climate change seriously and most importantly, what are the unnoticed consequences of climate change that you can talk about? Well, it is indeed a, a grave crisis, Vasudha. We are almost in an existential crisis. So, of course, uh, the Secretary General's call and also the urgency that he has emphasized several times is well understood and well appreciated. Uh, if you look at what's happening around us, uh, in the last half century, the rise of temperature is unprecedented as compared to the last 2000 years. Just imagine, so the, the, the challenge that we are in right now is quite remarkable. So it is uh, akin to an existential crisis. Uh, now just imagine the consequences of a temperature rise like that, the unprecedented temperature rise. Uh, we have challenges associated with uh, extreme weather. So lots of uh, unseasonal rainfall, uh, reduced rainfall, but heavy rainfall. Uh, lots of extreme weather events like cyclones, droughts. The intensity has gone up and the frequency has gone up of extreme weather events as well. Uh, the Paris Agreement actually talked about, uh, which came out in 2015, uh, it talked about a temperature rise of 1.5 degrees by the end of century, right? We're only 24 years into this century and we've already seen a temperature rise of 1.1 degrees. So we just have like for the next 76 years, 77 years, we're talking about and if we really want to meet the Paris Agreement, a temperature rise of no more than 0.4 degrees. So and and that that is an immense challenge for all of us. Uh, climate driven food and water insecurity is also going to be a major problem going forward. And uh, currently, what the policies that we have in place would actually lead to a temperature rise of 2.8 degrees by end of century. So what we have in mind of 1.5 and 2 degrees at max, with the current business as usual action, temperature rise by end of century is likely going to be 2.8 degrees. But if we really want to accelerate action, then GHG emissions will have to be cut by almost 50% in the next seven years. So it's it's quite a remarkable sort of transformation that we need. And I'm sure we'll talk about it in the subsequent sort of questions that you asked. 
so when we talk about a, about the vulnerability of countries and there is of course uh, uh, you know in dependence or some sort of a relationship between how vulnerable a country is and climate action uh, we hear that developed countries and under developing countries may really have to face the same kind of impact and there are of course varying uh, theories to that but why should people in india be worried about something like climate change can you tell us in like very basic terms see most human beings most people most well sort of any sentient being doesn't like uncertainty and unpredictability right so what climate change is essentially doing is enhancing the unpredictability and the uncertainty that we are confronted with and no one's going to like it so just think about a farmer who's faced with unseasonal rainfall or too little rainfall or too much rainfall think about an urban commuter who's stuck in sort of unprecedented floods right think about a child who's going out who's planning to go out to school in a peak summer day and is hit by sort of a squall of rainfall which is completely unannounced and gets drenched of course there is it can be charming a few times but if it's happening at an increasing frequency at an increasing rate it just becomes unbearable and irritating uh and of course there are many other consequences right so the fact that we are losing land because of the rising sea levels in coastal areas right so the coastal communities are already seeing that land is being lost so of course there are real and palpable consequences uh between 19 well in the last century till 2018 temperatures risen by anywhere between 1.1 to 1.3 degrees in india already uh rain, monsoon rainfall has actually come down and you know that a large part of our agriculture is completely rain fed right so the vulnerability of almost 50 to 60% of our population which depends still depends on agriculture is of course enhanced as well the number of hot days has actually gone up like extreme temperature days has gone up as well there was an unprecedented heat wave in 2022 there's almost like a recurrence of uh, uh, sort of the squall and also these uh, sort of uh, extreme rainfall in march which we saw this year well february march but we've also seen it in sort of last like the two years and what that means is that of course farmers are suffering unprecedented damages to standing crops as well so i think we have major sort of vulnerabilities because a large part of our population is also dependent on sort of agriculture natural resource management based livelihoods and also exposed to the weather and the temperature when they work uh, sort of even in small and medium enterprises in factories the if the number of hot days goes up people's productivity it's sort of it's like evidence already suggests that people's productivity will come down dramatically and therefore you would need all kinds of investments in cooling and things like that so i think we have a lot to be concerned about and we are already quite exposed um Ashish how do you rate or how do you see India's efforts when it comes to promoting sustainable development are we doing enough to counter climate change I think there is an increasing realization in the policy community that uh, uh sort of we need to we need to actually do a lot more uh so I've been working in this area for the last almost two decades uh in India and uh, so when the earlier the environment and climate agenda was fairly at the margins i think it's actually come much more 
sort of front and center and it's becoming much more mainstream over the last few years and even if you look at the sort of government's policies and also the global pressure uh, and global agendas which are being shaped around climate and uh, energy and environment uh, it gives me hope uh, india is actually doing fairly sort of it's doing quite a bit uh, let me just say uh, sort of for instance in renewable energy india is already amongst the top 5 countries in the world as far as installed capacity is concerned uh we've actually pretty ambitious nationally determined contributions and they were revised uh, so these are like nationally determined contributions are in like official submission of the government to the paris agreement and the framework convention on climate change uh so the earlier sort of targets were like intensity of gdp to be sort of uh, 33 to 35% reduction in emission intensity of gdp uh for was 33 to 35% reduction now it's already been enhanced to 45% uh, earlier the electricity from renewable sources the target was 40% it has been enhanced to 50% uh, the panchamrit announcement by the prime minister at glasgow uh, was also fairly ambitious uh, and of course uh, india also kind of developed and submitted its uh, low emission development strategy at cop 27 in egypt uh, so it so this is all within india but india is also doing uh, its bit uh, globally uh, so for instance the international solar alliance which india and co france kind of co developed and co led is sort of a great initiative to push solar agenda energy access agenda cleaner energy agenda sort of within sort of uh, in the global community but also in places like africa the coalition for disaster resilient infrastructure which is another initiative of the government of india is a sort of a marquee initiative on the adaptation side because we know that a lot of infrastructure is at risk and we are going to lose uh, sort of if we don't design our infrastructure in resilient ways we're going to lose it and all of that investment would go sort of uh, waste uh, there are there is this industry transition a group which india and sweden have created on decarbonization of the hard to abate sectors like cement like uh, iron and steel like ammonia and fertilizers so these are all initiatives which india is taking and i think it's also reflected in a sort of a recent assessment by an independent sort of ngo called german watch uh, where india's performance increased by a couple of notches india's ranked 8th in the world so there is there is of course some cause for joy uh, with the, what is happening domestically yes Uh, Ashish, you've always talked about small solutions, the importance of small solutions in the Indian economic context. So, I wanted to ask you, you know, does economic growth and sustainability, you know, go hand in hand? You know, is there a is there a possibility of achieving some sort of a balance? And how can governments also help businesses decarbonize or you know actually accelerate some form of green growth? Vasudha, I don't think we have a choice. uh we have to pull millions of people hundreds of millions of people out of poverty uh, even now uh there are almost 600 million people globally more than 600 million people globally who don't have energy access even today so we have to grow and we have to grow sustainability if we want to meet well if we have to keep our planet safe and if we have to pull people out of poverty so i don't think we have a choice and there are solutions available I don't think it's it's sort of a, sort of a dire situation where we actually don't have solutions which try, allow us to meet our environment and sustainability goals and growth goals together. 
for instance, I'm a big fan of, uh, as you said, small solutions at the sort of a community level. For instance, uh, community-led waste management uh, allows you to create jobs, several jobs, hundreds of thousands of jobs can be created in community-led waste management projects. They're of course good for the environment. Uh, they create, uh, so they allow us to be much more sustainable into the going into the future and can, if done well, if organized well, can actually be really good for uh, biodiversity, by, for nature as well, right? Because if you actually do very like good composting, you can actually use that for your agriculture purposes rather than using synthetic and chemical fertilizers. So circularity at an economy-wide level, like how to close material cycles so that you're not generating as much waste as you would have in a non-circular linear world is another example which has clear synergies between sort of the environment agenda and the growth agenda. Uh, renewable energy is another one, right? So you're creating lots of jobs, uh, potential to create lots of jobs. Uh, and of course, depending on how you're doing it in terms of whether you're doing it in a decentralized manner or you're creating utility levels for solar, all of these options will create jobs, will also lead to sort of better environmental impacts, but also create growth opportunities. And I think we have, like India is already looking at these rewards uh, through the production linked uh, sort of incentives in the renewable energy sector for the electric vehicle manufacturing sector, for mobile phone manufacturing sector. So I think there are green shoots, but uh, we really need to be much more uh, sort of uh, focused and concentrated. And this is where the role of government comes in quite systematically and sort of prominently. Uh, governments can give very strong signals to markets by saying that, okay, we really uh, want to push the agenda of green growth. Uh, you can actually have industrial policy, which is by design green. For instance, how much investments are you going to make in green infrastructure as compared to sort of well regular brown infrastructure for the lack of a better phrase so there are options and governments can do it governments can also give very strong signals to uh, the financial sector to kind of look at their own portfolios and and the government of india has already done that through the brs brsr reporting and a new the new portion esg but i i think uh, there needs to be sort of sustained input and i i i someone who's working in this sector uh, i believe that this pressure is there uh, it's just that and we are actually at the cusp uh, of uh, sort of where you could potentially take off if there is enough political will and i think this is where governments domestically and at the international level come in pretty strongly uh, so tell us how how does india's g20 presidency actually contribute to global efforts in addressing climate change or climate related issues and how can uh, the government actually mobilize funding uh, because climate finance is a big issue and how can the government actually uh, mobilize funding when it comes to addressing climate adapt adaptation issues and how is UNDP supporting this effort? So well there's several questions in this one question that you've asked so let me start with uh, sort of what's India doing as a part of its G20 presidency right so the environment and sustainability agenda is actually quite liberally spread out uh, over several working groups uh, as part of the Indian presidency. So for instance, uh, uh, the environment and climate sustainability working group has prioritized the blue economy, 
a circular economy and sort of biodiversity land restoration and water natural resource management so these are all areas where significant action in within india has already happened but several g20 countries have done uh, path breaking efforts uh, so this is a good moment to consolidate and give a signal to the global community uh, also to the financial sort of markets because g20 countries control 80% of the gdp uh, they're also sort of almost 75 to 80% of global emissions so i think this is a good signal if we kind of consolidated our messages through the sort of well uh, whatever comes out as a result of the of the sort of uh, the g20 process uh, but so that's just one working group right the environment and climate sustainability group there is the energy transition working group which is looking at uh, grand transitions in the energy space and talking about just energy transition looking at fuels for the future then there is the drr working group which is being set up for the first time by india looking at how sort of if climate change is uh, sort of changing the profile of extreme weather events then what innovative instruments do we need to use what are the financing instruments for drr and so on and so forth uh then of course there is a sustainable finance working group touching upon the finance part of your question which actually is looking at climate finance how to mobilize additional climate finance but also looking at all kinds of innovative instruments like climate budget tagging and developing of uh, climate finance frameworks at national levels and of course there are a lot of other engagement groups like the b20 like the youth 20 which are all talking about environment and climate sustainability sort of agenda uh as a part of the G20 presidency uh and all of this is of course going to culminate into the leaders declaration uh and hopefully we will have a strong leaders declaration which brings the sort of discussions in these different working groups together uh sort of as a part of our sort of work in india uh, and globally as well UNDP is the sort of host of the sustainable finance working group we serve as the secretariat of the sustainable finance working group but we are contributing to all of the groups that i mentioned including and also the digital economy working group and several other engagement groups like the youth 20 like the b20 so our contribution of course is in a lot of these spaces and we really believe that if we can actually build consensus around some of the issues that the government of india is pushing including the very important topic of lifestyles for environment which is a flagship priority of the government uh, we believe that, that if we can actually build consensus around it Uh, it will be a big push to the momentum which is already there building up to the sort of well, the G7 presidency of the Japanese the Japanese G7 presidency and also the upcoming cop um, in UAE uh, so this is these are important years there is the SDG summit in September as well so this is a very important year we are right in the middle of the SDG sort of achievement uh, sort of uh, period 7 um, years to go 7 uh, and a half years have already elapsed so i think it's important to really take stock and push as much as we can and the indian presidency comes at a vibrant like a sort of opportune moment and finally so i think that my final point on this is that the indian presidency is also part of this troika right so the indians took over the presidency from indonesia and will hand over the presidency to brazil so this is the first time in sort of several years uh, sort of well first time since g20 started in 1998 that three developing and emerging economies are taking over the presidency sort of consecutively so i think uh, the indian presidency is also quite mindful of the troika's role in pushing the global south agenda 
and sir my last question and of course my favorite one you know there's also a public discourse happening around climate change right why should i use menstrual cups instead of say sanitary napkins or why should i eat millets and how it, how is it uh, going to help the environment so what are the out of box ideas that you keep hearing about and how can individuals actually make a difference to environment well i think so so i i if i think about this question i struggle because i think we are not even able to implement our in the box ideas let alone out the out of the box ideas so for instance uh, very simple things like uh, uh, sort of uh, thinking about the environment like for me an individual's greatest contribution in this space could be tracking their bin how what enters their bin and what comes out of their bin our fixation with plastics uh, packaged goods packaged products i have talked about this in sort of several places several platforms i think we are becoming more and more sort of addicted to packaged goods packaged products everything which was not packaged in say 5 10 15 years ago comes packaged even our veggies come packaged now which is such a sad thing to see a cabbage wrapped so tightly so it can't breathe it almost gives me the impression of sort of well the earth being wrapped in plastic right and if there's so many visual like vivid images of that but yeah you see a cabbage being wrapped in plastic tightly every lettuce with the sort of uh, is wrapped in plastic as well your bell peppers your capsicums wrapped in plastic why do we need to do all of that so i think we need to really sort of develop a relationship with our bin with our waste bin this is what like which and see what is what are we putting in the bin on a daily basis and systematically think about how to sort of wean off some of our sort of bad habits uh, which we have kind of getting addicted to over a period of time but i think that's not an individual agenda alone regulation has to play a very big role uh, sort of uh, private sector has to contribute in terms of looking at solutions and there are solutions which are available for instance refillable uh, sort of packaging or refillable sort of boxes for your groceries and for other kinds of things is is very important as well um in terms of sort of uh, the big out of the box uh, sort of idea i would say one thing that i really sort of find interesting is the gap between sort of action and intention right so a lot of people have very good intentions but what is stopping them from taking action and i think it's basically about sort of your your social values your sort of also how you sort of engage with your surroundings with your local environment and also uh, sort of uh, convenience uh, and finally of course prices right so is a sort of a more sustainable choice more affordable if you really want to have transformative change i think we need to make sustainable choices more uh, sort of the default options more uh, sort of uh, well much more cheaper than they are currently for large scale adoption and i think this is going to be sort of our grand challenge going forward uh, so i am not uh, so i haven't given you one silver bullet but i don't i don't think there is a silver bullet uh, i think there is a menu of options that we need to explore and i would uh, sort of uh, there are like for instance several uh, technologies which have been identified already uh, and if we can actually even implement the top 5 we will actually at scale we would solve significant amount of problems in this sort of in in the in the world and i think we should really be pushing for that rather than trying to find one silver bullet 
so that was Ashish Chaturvedi, Head of Action for Climate and Environment, UNDP India, uh, stressing on the importance of not just small solutions and community-led solutions, but also the importance of a larger uh, policy framework and regulations and course the gap between uh, intent and action which I think is very important. So also talked about green shoots in India, India's uh, policy when it comes to uh, the green agenda and uh, how a lot more needs to be done. Thank you, thank you sir, thank you sir for talking to us. Thank you everyone listening and keep watching this space. We have a lot more coming up soon. Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to CII Podcasts. 